Well, hi, everybody. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to come. It, it is an honor to be here with you, and I was glad to get the opportunity, uh, partly because the students that we have at Geneva that I've gotten to know that have come from your church, it's just been so spectacular that I had to see what happened to them, you know, where they came from, you know, so... Uh, it's just great to, great to be here. And I, and I also thank Mark for his very kind words. Although I, I'm a little hesitant when somebody tell, you know, gets up and tells you how good you are. I'd rather they say, like, oh, he's not bad. You know, he's not bad. And then if you do pretty good, you know, you go, all, well, God was with him today, I guess. So, you know, if he, was, he did all right. You know, there. So, but anyway, um, so it's good to be here. Good to be here with you. And um, I, 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 another reason it was good to be here was traveling up here yesterday. It looks like, uh, at least, you know, from my point of view, looks like you'll have a white Christmas. We always love, everybody loves having a white Christmas. Uh, and I, you, you, in the area, that doesn't mean much, I know, having a white Christmas, because you, you just wonder if you'll have a white Memorial Day, too. But, um, but down in Beaver Falls, we like to have the white Christmas, you know what I'm saying? So uh, on the way up here, seeing all the snow, that was a great, great thing, you know, it was lovely, lovely, lovely. And, uh, and we like, you know, let's face it, we're in that season, you know, where we like all the things that go, all the trappings that go with Christmas, you know. Enjoy. And one of the big ones is the Christmas music, isn't it? And I, I was once again gratified to see you're singing church, you know, and you love the Christmas songs and so forth. Don't you like the Christmas songs? And by the way, we should give the choir a great hand of, round of applause. They did a great job today. Sounded fantastic. Sounded fantastic. Really, really good. They're, they're, and they're terrible singers, so that's really good. I was with them. So, no, no, no. They were, they were really, really good. Um, and I, you know, I love Christmas. And that's, I'll tell you, if there's one thing that sort of, you know, epitomizes the style of Christmas in America, it's Christmas music, isn't it? You know, because uh, we're crazy about Christmas music, you know. It gets around Christmas. We got, you know, we got a couple of different, in every town, like in Pittsburgh, we have at least two radio stations that are 24-7 Christmas music. And one starts like on uh, July the 5th. I think, you know, and the other one right after Thanksgiving, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, you know what I mean? And it's just Christmas song after Christmas song after Christmas, you know, and when else in the year do you have anything like this? You know, when is there any, any other time, any other event, any other thing, there must be something special, even people who run these crazy radio stations recognize it. Now, I, I will say this, you know, uh, one of the things that I do miss about Christmas music-wise is the old tradition of going out and Christmas caroling. We don't get a whole lot of Christmas caroling. Anymore, I you know, and that was kind of a passing thing, maybe within the Christian, you know, tradition. It only started about 150 years ago. Most people don't know that, but Christmas caroling was only about 150. And actually, it started in England, and it wasn't called Christmas caroling; it was called wassailing. Okay, did you know that it was called wassailing? And what they did was a bunch of Christians would get together, and they would go out around the community, and they would sing songs. They would sing Christmas songs. And the people would invite them into their house. And this was the point. When you got invited into the house, they would give you a, a financial gift that would usually go to a charity of some kind. So the, the caroling had to do with raising money for charities, you know. And then, of course, while they were in there, there was a little wassailing, if you know what I'm saying. And, uh, and of course, they'd just go around the community until they passed out. So, um, and I can't understand why this fell out of tradition, you know, the Christian tradition. I mean, anyway. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was the tradition. We ha- used to have the Christmas carol. We don't have as much Christmas caroling as we used to, but boy, do we have the Christmas songs, huh? And, it, and in the last 75 years, 
you know. There's been an explosion of new Christmas songs. And not just Christmas songs, but also the, uh, what you might call seasonal songs. They're not the Christian, you know, kind of Christmas songs, but they're seasonal songs about Christmas. And, and that's why you can have these radio stations that just play nothing but Christmas music over and over. And, but, you know, when else in the year can you hear Bruce Springsteen, George Michaels, Gene Autry, uh, you know, Bing Crosby and uh, David Bowie and the Chipmunks all in a row, all singing about the same thing, you know? <laughs> when does that ever happen? And, and we all have our favorites, too, don't we? You got your favorites? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. What's, what's somebody's favorite? What's somebody's favorite Christmas song? Favorite Christmas? A favorite Christmas song? Silent Night. Silent Night. That's a great song. Fantastic Christmas song. Anybody got another one? Oh, Holy Night. What? Let it snow. Very spiritual song. Yes. Um, <laughs> it shows you where she's at. Well, anyway, okay. So, uh, no, no, just kidding. That's a great song. What else? Who else got one? Joy to the World. Jo- Joy to the World. Fantastic Christmas song. Yeah. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> That's right. Very, very inclusive of you. Okay, very nice. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, are, there are some great ones, aren't there? I mean, there are some, just some great, great Christmas. I mean, you know. There's and by the way, there's been some new songs that are just fantastic, like uh, the the Christmas song "Mary, Did You Know." Do you know that song? That's a fantastic new, relatively new Christmas. I like the uh, the Kenny Rogers version of that. I think that's one of you. Or how about Michael W. Smith's uh, song? Maybe many of you might not know this, but you ever heard them? "Welcome to Our World." Oh my gosh, it's a fantastic. If you haven't heard that one, you should look it up. Listen, you know, listen to it over the holidays here. It's, it is just a fantastic. And then of course, you know, there are other people who love the other kind of songs, you know, maybe like Jeff Foxworthy's favorite, Grandpa Got Run Over by a Beer Truck, you know, and songs like that. I don't know, you know. But, uh, and we all have kind of our favorite Christmas songs, don't we? And don't you love this when you're riding in a car and, you know, you're up here on, uh, was that Peach Tree? Is that what's called? You're up on Peach Street, which is filled with red lights. And, uh, you know, and you're, in the, and you're in the car, and the Christmas songs are on, and you're singing the Christmas song, and, you know, you're just letting it fly. You know what I mean? You're like, fall on your knees. You know that one? And uh, you realize all of a sudden there's kids in the car next to you. <laughs> or better yet, you catch the person in the car next to you when they're singing like that, you know, and then they turn. <laughs> well, I got a rare treat for you today. Uh, I'm, not many of you might know this, but, uh, you know, Mark Harris loves to sing Christmas songs, you know. And uh, knowing this, I got, uh, I got Tyler Sullivan to sneak into his office and put a recorder, okay. And we have a rarely known version of a Christmas song sung by Mark here. I want to let you hear it because it's, it's really something special. I think you're going to love it. Yeah, here we go. Pick it up a little. Oh, that's not it. That's it's Whitney Houston or something. Wait a second, hold on. Now, here it is, here it is. A little more volume, more volume. More volume. Bring it up. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. Long lay the world 
Nicely done, Mark. Uh, really, that's not really him. Okay, I know you're you're amazed by that. Well, we all do have our uh, we all do have our favorite Christmas songs. I have uh, I have a favorite one. It's not uh, it's not a Christmas song. It's all that well known. Uh, some of you may know it. It's an older Christmas hymn, and uh, it's a great Christmas hymn. And part of the reason why you may not know it. Is it, it doesn't get sung as often for two reasons. The first reason is that it's, it's written in a minor key. And so it has a bit of a sorrowful sound to it, reflective, you know, sort of a thing. And I, sometimes we don't get that kind of a Christmas song, you know, and so forth. But uh, it, the name of the song is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent. Anybody ever heard of this song? Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent? Um, great, great, great song. Here's, what, here's how it goes. Let all mortal flesh keep silent and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage, a homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. He will give give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Rank on rank of hosts of heaven, 
spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of, of endless day, that the power of hell may vanish and the darkness clears away. At his feet the six-winged seraph, cherubim with sleepless eyes, veil their faces to the presence, and with ceaseless voice they cry, Alleluia, 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 Lord Most High. It's a beautiful song. Uh, and Again, I think one of the reasons why we don't sing is because it has that kind of sorrowful, reflective, minor tone to it. But you know, the other reason why I think we don't sing it so is because it's kind of an ironic song, in a sense. I mean, think about it. It's, it's a song called, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent, and it's a song. That's an irony, isn't it? You know, that you write a song that's called, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent. And yet there's something about that, it seems to me, that catches the spirit of what Christmas, and particularly Christmas songs, are about. It's that notion that something's happened here. Emmanuel, God has come with to be with us. God has come somehow, the incarnation that we celebrate. And by the way, try to get your mind wrapped around that. How is it that God becomes a human being? I mean, uh, if you can't quite figure that one out, we'll join most theologians, you know. This is, a, you know, this is one of the complexities of theology. Is How do you explain the incarnation? How do you explain God with us, God becoming a human being, descending? You know, most of the time, all they can do is tell you what it's not. It's not this, and it's not that, and it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean that. They have a very difficult time explaining the wonder and the awe of what that means to do. And by the way, if you can't quite come up with a reason for how or why God how He did it, how about the reason why He did it? You look around and you see the way that we act and the way the world is, and you wonder to yourself, why would God care enough to do something like that? To send His own Son to be abused and to be killed at the hands of the very people that He sent to show love to. So, you know, it's kind of a weird thing that, you know, here we have this song that, it, that at one level we have an experience that at one level calls us to be in awe and speechless about what's going on and our own brokenness to sort of have a, a sense of the, uh, of the unbreakable nature of night around us. And then all of a sudden into the midst of it we have this other sense that something so good and gracious has burst that we can't do anything but celebrate it. By singing a song. Well, uh, the song we're celebrating today is the song that was inspired by this passage in the chapter 2 of Luke that we read a little bit of. I'm going to read it again for you. It says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, was, uh, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first son. And, he, and she wrapped him in clothes and cloths and she placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men whom, whom he, his, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see these things that have happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard them were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, uh, just as they had been told to them. Now, um, this seems like the perfect experience of that first holy night, that holy night when Jesus is born, that into the darkness of the world, the light of light comes. And the angels can't hold back anymore, and so they sing this song about glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men whom God shows his pleasure. You know, the, the, there you have, the, the, in a certain sense, both the silence and the awe and the overwhelming nature of what's happening, and then you have this unbelievable, joyful response to it. And I don't think this is any coincidence. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's coincidence that Luke records it like this, because, you know, if you look, there's a first chapter. This is chapter 2 in Luke, but there is a first chapter to Luke. And if you look in the first chapter of Luke, actually there's three songs that appear in the first chapter. So this is kind of a theme in a certain sense. You know, in the first chapter, what he says is, what goes on is this. It starts with a story about uh, a guy named Zechariah, who's a priest up in Jerusalem. And he has a wife whose name is Elizabeth. And even though they were very, they were very old and they wanted children, they uh, never had any children. And so one day, Zechariah is at the altar of incense in the holy place at the temple performing his duties. And all of a sudden, at the other end of the altar appears the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel tells him, listen, your wife is going to have a baby. And when she has this baby, he's going to be the child that issues forth the call that says, prepare the way for the Lord, the Christ who's going to come. God is going to become man. He's going to prepare the way for that. And when he comes, I want you to name him John. And Zachariah can't believe it. I mean, literally can't believe it. And so he says to him, how can this possibly be? My wife's too old to have a baby. And in that moment of disbelief, he's no longer able to speak. And so he comes out of the temple, and even though he's supposed to give a blessing, he can't because he can't speak anymore, and people can't figure out what's going on, and he goes home. And somehow he communicates to his wife, Elizabeth, that she, this angel has been there and had told him that she's going to have a baby. And when she hears it, she believes. And she bursts forth in a short little song where she thanks God for doing this. And she believes that this is the, this is the expression of what God's graciousness is like. Well, then what happens is, is that Mary hears that her sister-in-law, or their cousin, I mean, Elizabeth, this is Mary of Mary and Joseph, who lives up in Nazareth, she hears that Elizabeth is pregnant as an old woman. And so she decides to go visit her. And so she comes down. Now, Mary's already pregnant with Jesus. And when she goes down there, she comes in the house. And John the Baptist, who's in the womb of Elizabeth, leaps with joy at the presence, in the, being in the presence of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Okay. In other words, all of a sudden there's this excitement of the of the of recognition of what's at least of these of babies of what's going on, even if the adults didn't quite get it. And so what happens is, is as, as this happens, 
and, and, and uh, Elizabeth tells Mary about what's going on, Mary breaks out in a song. And it's a pretty extended song. And in this song, she recognizes that you know, she has this unbelievable, unique, honored opportunity to be, to be the mother of the Messiah. And that the Messiah is going to change the world. He's going to make things right. He's going to make it the way that it was supposed to be. And then what happens is, is she leaves. She goes back to Nazareth. And later on, Elizabeth has the baby. And on the eighth day after, this is all in chapter one of Luke, by the way. You can check it just to make sure. I'm not making this up. But uh, after, on the eighth day, they take the baby up to the, up to the temple to have it circumcised. And when they get up there, they're getting ready to do the circumcision. They say, what do we name this baby? And as a tradition was, they suggested that it be named Zechariah after the father. And Zechariah, who still can't talk, stops them and says, no, no. He's to be named John, because that's what the angel had told him. Now, you know what the name John means? The name John means, the Lord is gracious. See, finally, Zechariah got it. This is God's joyful song breaking into the silence of our own darkness of our life. And when he says, no, name, when he says or writes it down, apparently, no, he should be named John. And, they, and sure enough, they give him the name John as he's circumcised. All of a sudden, Zacharias' tongue is freed and he sings a song. The song of Zechariah. And, and is this, don't this sound like a little more than coincidence, all these little songs? There's something about singing in Christmas that goes together. I think there's something about singing in the whole Christian life that goes together. You know, I like the way C.S. Lewis talks about the creation of the world. When he, in one of his little books, he talks about how God created the world. He says, the best way to understand is, is that it's like God sang the world into creation. There was nothing. There was silence. There was darkness. And God sang the world into creation. And with each new note... He created a, a beautiful, good, spectacular new thing filled with possibilities, you know, and potential. And it, with each, each time he did that, the world became filled with all these beautiful things in all their vast array. And then as the song that God sang reached its crescendo, it, 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 he creates human beings made in his image. And he makes them in his image with the possibility of experiencing a communion with him that will lead to a life of fulfillment. In this world filled with the good things that he's created. But it doesn't take long before human beings decide they got a better idea. It isn't barely chapter 3 after this being in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis that the fall takes place. And people decide that they have a better way to do it than God does. They live selfish lives. They decide to live self-directed lives. They decide to live lives that are this big as compared to as big as God had intended them to be. And when God confronts them, what happens? They're silent. They've got nothing to say. After all, what could they say? And in the midst of that silence, right in the third chapter, right as God's confronting them in their sin, he makes a strange promise in John 3.15. We call it the proto-evangel. He says to the woman that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, the seed of the serpent. And he'll bruise your heel. It's a kind of cryptic reference to Jesus coming eventually. Now, did Adam and Eve know what he was promising? God was promising at that No. All they heard was the good news of the song of grace. That it wasn't going to end up in darkness and silence. And no excuses. That God was going to commit himself to making all things right. Did they get it? Apparently not. 
Because later on in the Bible, we hear about 400 years of silence in the, as, they, as they waste away as slaves in Egypt. And then God sings another song through Moses, the song of Moses. And Moses comes and he tells them of God's graciousness and his commitment to his people that he's chosen them. Not because of something they've done, but because of his gracious, unmerited love towards them. To redeem them. And he draws them out of it in a, in a kind of, again, metaphor, like a song has. A metaphor of a, of a fuller salvation that he's going to do later on in history. He calls them out of this slavery. And the next thing you know, they're over in the Sinai Peninsula on their way to the Promised Land. And do they get it after having seen that? No. And so they wander around in the Promised Land for 40 more years of, of silence. And then God speaks to him again. The song comes out differently from somebody else this time. It's going to be Joshua, not Moses, that leads him into that promised land. And so they go into the promised land, and it's just a mess from there on it. Years of unfaithfulness and years of, you know, years of no excuses, years of silence in the sense of the brokenness and darkness of like the, the world in solemn stillness waits. To hear that song of graciousness again. And then the prophets begin to talk about it. This is a word, just a word here and there, a verse here and there, a phrase here and there. You know, the way that when you're singing some of those Christmas songs, you don't know all the words, but you know that one line from the chorus. You know, Melakaliki Maka, you don't know the rest of it, but you know that. And so when that comes on, you sing. And so it's just a word about this at first, a word about that, pointing to the one who's going to come. The song about the graciousness of God is going to be filled in the, in the crowd. They still don't get it. Seventy more years of captivity in Babylon. God starts to say, look, I'm going to make it clear now. A son is coming. He'll be born of the virgin. He'll be out of the line of David. It'll happen in Bethlehem. Seriously. Can you miss this? I'm trying to make it as pl- The song is trying to make it as simple and as plain as you could possibly hear. And then just about the time that you get to some of those clearest Old Testament references to the king coming, to the Messiah, the song is about to, people are about to join it. 400 years of silence. And then people start singing songs again. Elizabeth sings one. Mary sings one. Zachariah sings one. And then it comes that night. That holy night, that night of silence. When the angels sing the song, they sing the song of God's graciousness, complete in Christ coming to be among us. It's a fantastic song. You know, and that song has been a favorite of people throughout history. You know, the song of Holy Night. And I just want to close by telling you a little story about it, which I think maybe you, some of it you might have heard, maybe part of you hadn't heard. But uh, here's the song of O Holy Night that, that celebrates that song in Luke 2. In 1847, uh, in a little town in France, a priest, we'll call him Father, because a lot of priests get called Father, uh, he, uh, he asked one of his parishioners, a guy we'll call Pierre, because that's a French name, okay? And uh, I can't pronounce the guy's name, it was too complicated, but anyway. The, the father asked uh, one of his parishioners, a guy named Pierre, if he would write a poem for a Christmas Eve service. Not the Christmas Eve Eve service. I want to be clear about that. But the Christmas Eve service. Okay? And if he would write the poem for the Christmas Eve service. Now, it was a little surprising. I'm sure the guy was a little surprised himself because he was not really a, uh, 
you know, what you would call a pillar of the church. This guy wasn't a frequent. Maybe this was, you know, sort of an evangelistic sort of a thing on the part of the, uh, you know, the priest. Maybe he thought, if I ask the guy to write a poem and he comes on, you know, he'll come to church. That way I'll get him to come, you know. He wouldn't come otherwise, perhaps, because he wasn't a real faithful church-going kind of guy. But he asked him to do it anyway, and the guy said, okay, I'll write a poem for the New Year's Eve, for the Christmas Eve service. So, uh, you know, he, uh, and by the way, this guy wasn't real well known as a church member. He was actually much more well known as the commissioner of wine for the district that he lived in. So he was much more known in the wine community, in the wine drinking community, than he was in the church community. But he agreed that he would write this, uh, this poem for the priest for Christmas Eve. So anyway, so he write, he's on the way to Paris one time. This is a couple of weeks before Christmas. He's on the way to Paris. And he gets the Bible out, he reads Luke 2. And he decides to write the poem about Luke 2. And so on the way to, there, he writes what, what the, the, the poem's name was, Contique de Noel, was, a, was the title of it. Contique de Noel. And he must, he must have been pretty good. He must have, when he got done, he must have thought to himself, that's not bad. That's a good, even for me, that's a good poem. That's really well done. And he got so excited about how good it was, he decided that it ought to be made into a song. So he sought out a guy in Paris who was a very famous composer of the day. And we'll, we'll call this guy Adolf because that was his name. All right. And uh, he sought out Adolf. And Adolf was a very famous composer. He wrote, he wrote symphonies and all kinds of classical music. and was very, very well known and so forth. Uh, and he sought him out and he said to him, listen, I wrote this poem and I'd like you to write a melody for it so that it can turn it into a song. And the guy said to him, Adolf said to him, look, I'm not really, that's not really my thing. I don't. I don't write you know, melodies for little songs. I write symphonies and so forth. You know. And then he looked at the song and he realized this isn't exactly the kind of stuff that he wrote songs to anyway because he was a Jew. And he didn't believe this. But he agreed to write the music anyway. He said, okay, I'll, I'll write the music. And so a couple of weeks later he gave him the poem written to music called Cantique de Noel. And in 1847, on that Christmas Eve, for the first time, the Cantique de Noël was sung in that little church in France. And it was, it went over fantastically. People loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. In the weeks and months and years to come, people continued to sing the song in the streets, at home, in church, and other churches. People asked for the song. They published all over France. It became wildly popular. Wildly popular. And then... It became uh, known that its author, the guy we call Pierre, had decided to join the Socialist Party. And the church didn't like the Socialist Party because the Socialists didn't like the church. And so as a result, when it, uh, he joined the uh, Socialist Party, the church decided to excommunicate him. Not only that, did they not excommunicate him, they leaked to the public that the song had been, the music for the song, Critique de Noel, had been written by a Jew. And because of the anti-Semitic, you know, tendencies within the country, they thought that that would do the song in. And then they basically said this. Not only did they communicate him, it leaked that the guy who wrote it was a Jew, but they said this. No longer is it permitted to be sung within the church in France. And the official decree came down and said that the, it, it was tasteless in regard to musical concern. And it showed nothing, nothing of the pure notion of what religion was about. And so it was not to be sung anymore. But it was too late. The horse was already out of the barn. Everybody loved this song. You know? 
and nobody would stop singing it. And so it continued on being very, very popular. And then an American heard it, a guy named John Dwight. And he decided that the song needed to be translated into English so that it could be sung in the United States. And not only because it was a beautiful song, and not only because John, White was, John Dwight was a Christian and he loved, uh, he loved this stuff, but also because of the third verse of A Holy Night. It was particularly important because John Dwight was an abolitionist, and he felt that this song would support the cause of anti-slavery cause in the United States at that time. This is the, that's not it. This is the, I'll find it here. This is the third verse of O Holy Night. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. When John Dwight heard that, he said that's exactly what Christ is about. He knew that two chapters later in the book of Luke, in Luke 4, Jesus himself in his first sermon would pick Isaiah 61, that little twinkling of a tune that started back in the Old Testament time, and he'd fill it out. You know, the one where he said the Spirit of the Lord was upon him because he had, he had uh, ordained him, he had anointed him to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the captives, release to the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was saying, all the things that the Messiah has been promised, here I am today, fulfilling that promise. I'm the full song broken into the, into the dark, quiet silence of the broken world. I'm God's gracious response to make things right. And John Dwight knew that. He knew that abolitionism had to be part of that as well. And so he had the song translated into English, and it became known in English as, O Holy Night, the O Holy Night song that we know. And maybe you know some of the folklore relating to O Holy Night. Maybe you know that during the Franco, you've heard this story, that during the Franco-Prussian War, on Christmas Eve, as the French and the German lines lined up during the Franco-Prussian War, at one moment in the, in the quiet, towards midnight, there was a quiet in the battle, and a French soldier put his gun down and stood up and sang, Contique de Noel, sang O Holy Night, and a German stood up on the other side and sang in German another song. And, and as of that moment, they called a 24-hour truce. And the Germans and the French during that night celebrated Christmas together. Maybe you know that that happened again in World War, on Christmas Eve in World War I in France again. Maybe you heard that it happened during World War II on Christmas Eve in Belgium, Belgium as well. And maybe this adds to the lore and to the power of showing this of song and music and the graciousness. But I'm, tell you, I'm going to tell you a story now, but you don't know about this song. And this story starts in 1906 with a guy named Reginald Friesenden. Reginald Friesenden. And he was a professor of electrical engineering at the University of Pittsburgh. He had been a co-worker with Thomas Edison and had been particularly interested in the power and the development of the use of radio waves. And so what he had been doing was, he'd been trying to develop a machine, because up to this time, radio waves, that is the ability to transmit without wires, was in limited use. They used radio waves in these little machines, these little like uh, speaker-type machines, to, to transmit Morse code, 
particularly to ships from the shore to ships at sea, and then from news centers down the coast. Okay? This is the only way in which these radio waves had been figured out how to be used, was to do ships at sea or these things down the coast. And he was working on the development of a machine where it wasn't just the tapping of the Morse code that could be heard, but the transmitting would be able to be heard from radio waves on these wee little speakers of a person's voice. And on Christmas Eve, not Christmas Eve Eve, but Christmas Eve, he finished his instrument and he decided to test it. And so right around midnight, he sat down and he took out the Bible and he read chapter 2 of the book of Luke, the one that we read here today. And for the first time, the voice of a person went out over the radio proclaiming the good news. People at sea and in these little news stations didn't know what to think, didn't know what it was. They called people into the room as quickly as they could. It only takes about a minute to read Luke 2. But as quickly as they could, they drew other people through. Some of them thought that it might be the voices actually of angels speaking through the machine. And then, when he was done reading Luke 2, he put down the Bible and he picked up his violin. And he played the song, O Holy Night. And so on that Christmas Eve in 1906, for the first time ever, a Christmas song. A song celebrating the graciousness of God and his commitment to put things back to the way they were supposed to. By the gift of becoming a human himself. Went out over the airways. And people must have thought, it's a miracle. For this good news to break into the darkness and silence of our lives. As quickly as the music and the reading had started, it stopped. And there was silence. And here's what I'm guessing. In some part of us, all of us here, there's a piece of silence. It's a piece of brokenness or disappointment and hurt doubt this dark and puts us in a place where we don't hear the good news and what we need this is my prayer for myself as well as for you today is that this Christmas time in the midst of the silence will come to you such good news of God's graciousness that it makes you want to sing